This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. And a very good Erev Shabbos to all of you. Great to be with you on this very special Erev Shabbos, Shabbos HaGadol, the great Shabbos, the Shabbos before Pesach. And it's a Shabbos that we are concerned with a great many things. First of all, the Parsha of the Week, which is Tzav, and we'll talk about that for a few minutes, but also the fact that it's Shabbos HaGadol, the Shabbos that precedes Pesach, and it's given this unique and special name, the name of Shabbos HaGadol, the Great Shabbos. And what makes it great, we'll talk about a little bit later as well. But it's also a week of, well, tremendous preparation. Pesach, of course, is not the easiest of festivals. We change the house, we change the food, all sorts of activities that have to take place, we prepare for the Seder, it is an intense, it is a, well, somewhat difficult festival for most of us. And we have to understand that this comes with great preparation as well. Nothing comes easy, and certainly not the festival of Pesach, the holiday of Pesach. One of the things you have to remember, I'm going to remind you this a number of times, to sell your chametz. And this can be done through your rabbi, it can be done through... You best did. It can be done through, well, go to Chabad House, and they'll take care of it there as well. However you do it, you can do it online as well, I understand. You can do it through all sorts of methods, but it is something which is absolutely essential because this coming Thursday night is B'dikat Chomets. We're going to search for the Chomets. We are going to make that last effort to remove any type of Chomets in any sense of the word, from our home so that our house can be truly Pesachdik, our house can be ready and proper to celebrate the festival in the best possible manner. And this is why, in addition to all the other preparations, the cleaning, the shopping, etc., etc., don't forget to sell your chametz. It's something which is quite important, absolutely necessary. So do so, and do so with a degree of urgency. The sooner the better. Don't wait till the last minute. Do it and do it now. As I mentioned before, the parasha is Tzav, the second in the book of Leviticus, in the book of Ayikra. And the word Tzav, of course, means to command. Moshe is told by God to command the Kohanim to behave in a particular sort of way in the temple with regard to the sacrifices, with regard to the offerings. The book of Leviticus, of course, is filled with all sorts of laws pertaining to the sacrifices, to the offerings. And as we mentioned last week, how, in fact, this is the spine of Torah, the backbone of Torah, in a sense, the foundation of Torah, the idea of sacrifice, as we talked about last week at length, is the idea of giving something up, something which is negative, something which holds you back, something which interferes with growth and development and with progress, something which in a sense paralyzes you, almost cripples you. And you have to understand that sometimes you have to give certain things up. And when you give those things up, the road ahead becomes clear, the road ahead becomes purposeful. It is something that you can do with a tremendous sense of joy and with clarity. And this is a great gift and life, the ability to do something, something which is at times difficult, but to do it with a sense of clarity and joy, this is truly a gift. And this is what the whole book of Ayikra is all about. The whole book of Ayikra talks to us about the idea of offerings and sacrifices, and in a sense, this is why it's the backbone of Torah, as mentioned last week, because in order to somehow bring about a fulfillment of our purpose here on earth, to fulfill that which God, well, wants from us. He made us at a particular time and place. He gave us gifts. He gave us individual gifts. He gave us individual challenges. He gave us a particular road, a unique road that each and every one of us has to go through in order to do so 
with a sense of purpose and clarity and joy. The sacrifice becomes necessary from time to time. And each individual has to look into her or his own life and ask himself, what in fact is the particular sacrifice that I have to make? What in fact is that particular thing that I have to do, something which is unique to me? Yes, it might be similar to others as well, but I know myself. I understand myself. There's a saying among the sages that Adam Karavetsalatsmo, a person is close to himself. It has a negative connotation that somehow there is the personal bias of self-protection, but at the same time, there is a positive dimension to that teaching as well. And that is that we know ourselves intuitively. We 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 know where our strengths are. We know where our weaknesses are. We know where our high points are and where our shallow points are. We know, in fact, intuitively and often after a time of self-investigation, we know what, in fact, has to be sacrificed. And this is what the book of Ayikra is all about. The book of Ayikra gives purpose to the first book of creation, the second book of liberation, and the fourth book of the journeys through the desert, finally the great repetition of Devorib Deuteronomy, and we go forward as individuals, as a people, each and every one of us, fulfilling our purpose through the idea of offering of sacrifice, and this is something which we do regularly. It was the Korban Tamid, which represented all the Jews. It united all the Jews. It was something which was done in the temple on a daily basis, and it represented each and every single individual, because that is the collective sacrifice that we make as a people. But then, of course, there are the individual sacrifices as well that we are obliged to make throughout the year, for whatever reason, to elevate ourselves, to seek atonement, to simply express our devotion and loyalty to God, to praise God. Whatever the case might be, those sacrifices have to be done, but they have to be recognized within the context of oneself. And yet, when we take a look at the Vayikra, as I mentioned last week, Vayikra is a language, a term of endearment, where God calls to Moshe Vayikra, and he makes this overture before he gives him the instruction, before he gives him whatever has to be passed on to the Jewish people, Vayikra, he calls Moshe, because Moshe was special. And in a sense, this is something which extends to each and every one of us, this idea of being special to the Almighty, being special to God. Each and every one of us has this relationship, this closeness. Each and every one of us is a child of God. And this is why when he calls to us to do something which might be difficult, Vayikra, he calls to us. He does it with a sense of endearment, with a sense of love. He shows a closeness. He shows an intimacy with us. It's something that he demands from us. He asks from us. True. But at the same time, it's Vayikra. And yet when we come to the Parsha of Tzav, what does Tzav mean? Tzav means order, instruct. Seems to suggest a very harsh term. And isn't that a conflict? How can we have at the beginning of Ayikra this overture of love and closeness, this calling to one with Chibo, with a tremendous sense of intimacy, and at the same time, the Parsha, the second Parsha speaks to us about Sav, and Sav seems to suggest a pretty harsh instruction, an order, a command, whether you like it or not. And the answer, of course, is that both are absolutely necessary. On the one hand, God does show us incredible love and closeness. And the challenges that he gives us is because ultimately they are part of our growth and development. And yes, they are difficult, sometimes overwhelmingly difficult. But it comes from God with a sense of love because of the fact that he sees within us the incredible potential 
that he gave us. He sees the perfection which is within each and every one of us, and he knows our strengths. He knows our shortcomings. He knows us quite well. He knows us, obviously, a lot better than we know ourselves. After all, he is creator of heaven and earth. He is the one who brought all of us into being. But at the same time, we can somehow at times confuse this overture of love and to think to ourselves, well, well, I can, I can't, I will, I won't, but sub. There is the order, there is the command, there is the very, very clear, perhaps, in a sense, somewhat harsh instruction. And it's a balance between these two, the overture of love and the instruction, the commandment, which comes with a degree of severity. And it's these two things which are absolutely necessary when it comes to fulfillment of the mitzvah of karbonot, of offering and sacrifices. As mentioned, sacrifice is not easy. Sacrifices comes with something with great difficulty. And that's the word sacrifice. That's what sacrifice means, giving something up, letting something go, something that we, up to this point, held on, something that we thought was precious and close to us, and yet we give it away. We give it away. This tells us, in fact, how important the idea of this combination of love and instruction, order, command, the closeness that God shows us through the Vayikra and the command, the instruction, in a sense, the severity that he sometimes displays in order to ensure that we do the right thing. Because, yes, we can confuse that gesture of love and think to ourselves, well, perhaps not necessary for me to fulfill that particular instruction. And this is why it comes with a term, with a language that suggests severity to a certain degree. It's the balance between the two. And this is why the first parsha is Vayikra, the second parsha is Tzav. But essentially, they're both speaking about the same thing. They're speaking about fortifying the spine of Torah, making sure that we do what we have to do with a sense of love, with a sense of joy, but with a sense of correctness as well. And this is why the second Parsha shows us a clear direction with absolute certainty, even though the language might be somewhat severe, perhaps a bit harsh as well. More of that soon. This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. We're talking about the idea of Vayikra and Tzav, how the two of them together, the overture of love from God that comes to us, and the instruction, the command, the order, which is somewhat severe, somewhat harsh. And it is the combination of both that brings about a sense of correctness and clarity. And when we take a look at the commentaries, they tell us something else about the word sav. It means with a sense of urgency, not only a sense of urgency, but to do something with a sense of urgency, even though we don't get any personal benefit from it. And this is something which is very close to the idea of what sacrifice is all about, because very often we think to ourselves, I am prepared to sacrifice something in order to gain something better. In order to receive a greater gift, a greater reward, I am prepared to give up whatever I have to give up. But when it comes to doing something from a purely altruistic level, to do something because it's the right thing to do, not because it brings me any reward or any personal benefit, but because it's the right thing to do, in those instances we somehow slack off. We don't do the right thing. We don't do the correct thing. Or if we do it, we do it with a sense of, well, I'll do it later, I'll do it tomorrow. There is no sense of urgency. 
And Moshe is told by God to convey to the Kohanim, even though they don't get a personal benefit from some of these sacrifices, nonetheless they should do so with a tremendous sense of urgency. Because a sense of urgency indicates that this thing is important and it has to be done, and we can't waste time or energy or whatever it is because it has to be done, and it has to be done correctly, and it has to be done as soon as possible. A sense of urgency, which comes with a sense of, well, as mentioned before, love and command, instruction, severity, these three things come together, and they are able to produce the ultimate sacrifice, because we do so with a sense of, well, correctness. I don't get anything. I don't benefit from this whatsoever. I do it because it has to be done. I do it with a sense of urgency. I do it because God has shown me a tremendous overture, a gesture of love, of closeness, of instructing me in a sense that this is the way that I can ultimately achieve my purpose in creation and purpose in creation generally. As mentioned, not only because I can achieve what I can achieve, I can reach that level, I can come to the highest point, I can fulfill my absolute potential, which, of course, is the greatest reward of all, in a sense. No, it's also because this has to be done for the purpose of all of creation, all of creation where all of us benefit equally, not necessarily me in a personal sort of way. And it's important to understand this idea as we grow and develop through life. Because life is complicated, life is difficult, life is challenging. Life has all sorts, well, of obstacles, of blocks, of... Well, opportunities and challenges. And we have to know how to approach each one correctly. This is the book of Vayikra. Vayikra, through the process of Vayikra and Sav, the gesture of love, the instruction, the commandment, the sense of urgency, the sense of passion. And passion often is misunderstood. Passion often is thought to be something which is negative. It brings out to the lower qualities of the human being. It might. Passion can be something which is negative. Passion can be something which, in a sense, does not bring out our highest qualities. But in a deeper sense, passion is something which is absolutely necessary. Passion shows a tremendous desire, a focus, a clarity. This has to be done, and I do so with every fiber of my being. I do so with a tremendous sense of attention, of urgency, of greatness, of fulfilling my purpose, of fulfilling the purpose of all of creation. There is a whole package connected with this. This is the idea of Tzav. And Tzav comes right after Vayikra. And, of course, this year is mentioned earlier on. Tzav comes at a very special time of the year. It's Shabbos Hagodol, and Shabbos Hagodol, the great Shabbos, we'll talk about why, in fact, it's called the great Shabbos, but it's the Shabbos that precedes Pesach. And what's Pesach all about? Pesach is all about Yitzhiat Mitzrayim, liberation, freedom. And as you've heard me say so many times before, freedom is one of the most abused and misused words in our language in our vocabulary. Freedom, well, freedom from this and freedom from that. Freedom is something which is not really understood, and this is why hardly ever truly achieved. Freedom means to bring about a sense of absolute correctness within myself, within my environment, and ultimately within all of creation. Freedom is something which indicates that no matter who or what or when, if there is any part of this world that is still shrouded in darkness, 
any part of this world that hasn't achieved a sense of goodness and correctness. There's any part of this world where there are those who suffer, where are those who have difficulty, where tyranny reigns. It's not enough for me to be free. It's not enough for me to achieve a sense of freedom. I am free. I am liberated. Because if there is any type of darkness or difficulty in the world, wherever and to whomever, the world is imperfect. And an imperfect world means that true freedom has not been achieved. And yes, this is not something which we can do ourselves and instantly. And it's not something which I can do automatically. It takes all of us. It takes a tremendous effort from each and every one of us with love, with joy, with correctness, with urgency, with passion. But this is what Pesach is all about. We sit down every single year and we try to achieve a sense of freedom, a sense of I have to bring about another stage of liberation in my life. I have to bring about another stage of correctness in my life. I have to bring about another stage of freedom, of Yitziat Mitzrayim. And this is why it is preceded by Shabbos HaGadol, Shabbat HaGadol, because this is the great Shabbos. You look in Shulchan Aruch, the book of Code of Jewish Law, and they tell us that a great miracle took place on this day. And what was the great miracle that took place? The great miracle was, well, the miracle of taking the Korban Pesach, well, listen carefully, connected with the idea of korbanot, of sacrifices, of offerings that we're talking about within the context of the book of Leviticus of Ayikra. It talks about this idea of, well, to do something which is greater than oneself, to do something which indicates a preparedness of sacrifice. And sacrifice is something which doesn't come easy. And certainly in the land of Mitzrayim, in Egypt, ancient Egypt, the sheep, the lamb that had to be used in the Korban Pesach was one of the deities, one of the gods, one of the idols of the ancient Egyptians. And the Jewish people took this to indicate a sense of fulfilling the will of God. God said that before you leave Mitzrayim, before you leave this land of tyranny and slavery, you have to bring the Korban Pesach and to bring the family together to, well, partake of the Korban Pesach, to have this festive meal. This is what the Seder is all about. A Seder is a reminder of the great meal the Jewish people had in Egypt when they brought the Korban Pesach. Alas, the temple is not standing, so we don't have the Korban Pesach today. But all sorts of symbolism at the Seder reminds us of that particular Korban Pesach. And when the ancient Egyptians saw the Jews taking that, they said, what are you doing? And they said, on this day, God is going to liberate us, and God will also punish you for the terrible things that you've done by destroying your firstborn. And the firstborn heard this. They rebelled against Pharaoh and said, let those people go. We will all be destroyed. Pharaoh refuses. And the firstborn actually pick up arms and attack Pharaoh and his soldiers. They rebel against the system. This is the great miracle, the great miracle that the enemy themselves begin to understand what they have done is wrong. And the enemy themselves try to eradicate the negativity, the negativity that was created by the tyranny, the slavery, the difficulty, the pain and the suffering that Pharaoh and his people, his henchmen, brought against the Jewish people. 
And this is a moment of great glory. This is a moment of great revelation. This is a moment that each and every one of us wants to see with our eyes, to see truth, to see true peace in the world, and true peace of the world with the enemies themselves. Acknowledge the fact that what they have done is wrong, what they have done is corrupt, what they have done is destructive, and it must be removed. And they themselves do whatever it takes in order to remove that negativity. It's not as if a good army comes against a bad army and destroys the bad army. The greater miracle, the Nes Gadol, the great miracle, is that the bad army themselves recognize the fact that their behavior in the past was bad, incomplete, evil, and therefore they have to achieve a sense of purpose, a sense of greatness in their own reality, in their own world. And this is something that each and every one of us has to understand with whatever bit of strength we possess. We have to understand that one day there will be a moment of greatness. This is the Nezgadol. This is the great miracle, and it took place on the 10th of Nisan, which was the Shabbos, first time the Jewish people celebrated Pesach, just before the departure, the great liberation. But what preceded that great moment? What preceded that great moment was Jewish pride. And Jewish pride is something which is absolutely necessary. And Jewish pride does not mean pride in the simple sense of the word. Jewish pride means I am proud to behave in the way that God wants me to behave according to the laws of Torah, to fulfill his mitzvot, to fulfill his commandments. And I do so with a sense of openness, with a sense of declaring to the world, this is who I am. And tragically, so many of our brethren, so many of our brothers and sisters throughout the world, and I speak of the free world, where you can do whatever you want when it comes to religious observance, are actually ashamed of being who they are. They try to hide behind all sorts of facades, all sorts of walls, to show the world that we are just the same as you. And yes, everybody in a sense is the same, but everybody is different as well. And we have a particular set of commandments. We have a particular set of instructions. God gave us the Torah, 613 commandments. God gave us a way of life which is unique to the Jewish people. We have to eat kosher. We observe the Shabbos. We study the Torah. We put on film, etc., 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 613. While, of course, not all of them are applicable at any given time, nonetheless, there are a significant amount of mitzvot that we have to display to eat kosher, to live a life which shows a tremendous sense of loyalty to Hashem, and not through declaration by word, but by expression through action, by showing through example who and what we are. And by the Jews taking the deity, the God of ancient Egypt, and proclaiming to them that this is going to be our Korban Pesach, this is going to be our sacrifice, because in a few days' time we are going to be liberated, this displayed a tremendous sense of Jewish pride in every sense of the word. The entire country, in a sense, at that time, the entire civilized world took notice. The Jewish people were prepared not to become haughty and proud in the negative sense, arrogant. No, but they had a tremendous sense of inner pride of displaying who they were. And they were 
proud of who they were. They weren't ashamed of who they were. They were going to display to the world that this is the way we are. This is the way we are expected to behave. Can you imagine that sort of world where we stand up and do that sort of thing? And we do so, as I said, not with a sense of arrogance and not with a sense of in your face, but within a sense of I am proud to be who I am. And you can proud to be, you can be proud of who you are as well. We are all part of God's great creation. We all have a mission. We all have a purpose. We all have something to fulfill. That's the Nes Gadol, the Shabbos Gadol, because the Shabbos HaGadol indicates a tremendous sense that we are going to be liberated. The world will be liberated. All of creation will be liberated and free. All of creation will achieve a tremendous sense of openness, of clarity, where the purpose and presence of God will be felt by all of creation, by all creatures within creation. But the preparation for that is something which is absolutely important. The preparation for that is a sense of decency and pride, a sense of showing by example the pride of who we are. This is why it's called Shabbat HaGadol, the great Shabbos, the great Shabbos, because it's the greatness of Shabbos. Our sages tell us that Shabbos men name it Barchin, from Shabbos all the days of the week, both past and coming, are blessed. And it's this Shabbos which blesses the coming days of Pesach. Pesach, of course, is this coming Friday night, a full week till Pesach, but nonetheless, each and every single, this coming Shabbos, which will be the first day of Pesach, is blessed by Shabbos tomorrow. And this is why it's Shabbos HaGadol. It's a Shabbos which blesses the essential freedom of our people. It blesses the idea of liberation, the idea of Yitziat Mitzrayim, the idea of leaving the difficulty, the darkness behind. And this connects very clearly and directly with the idea of sacrifice that we're talking about before. Because as mentioned, when a person is prepared to give something up, And what did the Jewish people give up at that time? They gave up, in a sense, their shame of being Jewish. Can you imagine having a tremendous sense of beauty, a tremendous sense of nobility, a tremendous sense of greatness, and being ashamed to display it, being ashamed to show it to oneself and certainly to another? Can you imagine the tragedy? That is the ultimate slavery. That is the ultimate enslavement. That is where a person simply cannot be himself. He hasn't got the courage to be himself. He hasn't got the ability to somehow break away from that shame. And when the shame becomes the sacrifice, and you become higher than that, you become proud. When I say proud again, I don't mean pride in the negative sense of the arrogant sense. I mean proud as a sense of correctness, because with true pride comes tremendous humility as well. We understand our greatness, but we understand how small we are as well. We understand our purpose, but we understand that we are but one part of the overall purpose that each and every one of us possesses a part. We're all partners in this great, great creation that God brought into being. And this is why Shabbos HaGadol is so important. And the custom in Shabbos HaGadol, of course, is that after Mincha, we begin to recite the Haggadah, what we talk about at the Seder. One of the great mitzvot of the Seder table is to, well, tell the story. The mitzvah of Sipur of Lisaper, Yitziat Mitzrayim, to talk about the story. It tells us how the great sages sat around. The great sages, men of incredible genius, men of incredible intellect, leaders, they sat around the table on Pesach night 
telling the story again and again and again. And we find something incredibly interesting. It all begins with the opening sentence of Adim Hayinu, the power of Mitzrayim. We were slaves under Pharaoh in Egypt. That our beginnings were not necessarily a moment of glory. Our beginnings were not this tremendous, tremendous flash of great light where this wonderful people are brought into being. No, our beginning as a people becomes evident in a situation of great difficulty, of darkness, of indeed slavery. Jacob comes down with his family, and yes, while they enjoy a number, a good number of years of freedom and prosperity and wealth in the land of Egypt, very soon thereafter, they are enslaved in the worst possible way. If you go through the narrative in Torah to read about, well, go through the narrative in the Haggadah, which is based on the Psukim, the passages of Torah, you'll begin to see how there were great difficulties. And this is why the custom that we eat the bitter herbs, we remember the bitterness, and we have to remember. Why do we talk about that beginning? Why don't we rather talk about we stood at Sinai and received the Torah? That is the festival of Shavuot. But one would think that the beginning of a people should be a moment moment of great glory, a moment of great, of great, well, revelation. When we became a people, we stood at the foot of the mountain receiving the word of God from God directly. Why do we talk about Avadim Mitzrayim? And the answer, well, one of the many answers, and this is something that each and every one of us has to remember clearly and directly from time to time. Our beginnings, our greatness, our true development what we are, what we become, is often within difficult situations in darkness. Yes, it's not the moment of glory that makes us great. It's the moment of glory that shows that we've achieved something. But what makes us who we are is the crucible in a sense of fire sometimes, the difficulty. It's precisely within the darkness of Egypt that our people developed into a people. And while we weren't perfect at that time, far from perfect, yes, we had certain qualities, we had certain dimensions of faith, we had certain dimensions of greatness, but by and large, we weren't as good as we should be. In fact, the angels themselves were complaining to God, why do you destroy the Egyptians? They are idolaters. Well, the Jewish people at the time were idolaters as well, said some of the angels. And this is something that we have to remember. It's not within perfect situations that we grow and develop. It's within imperfect situations. It's within limited situations. It's within a situation that we have to think about sacrifice, that we have to think about giving up certain dimensions. It's within situations of limitation that our infinity can be found. And yes, each and every one of us is in a situation of limitation. We aren't perfect. We aren't great. We lack an intellectual development. We lack an emotional development. We lack in fulfilling God's commandments and mitzvot. We might have difficulty, strife, whatever the case might be, whether it's within ourselves or outside ourselves, the situations and difficulty of life. You can sit back and bemoan the fact. You can sit back and cry about it. You can sit back and say, oh, how difficult my life is. But on the other hand, when did we become a people? We became a people in Egypt in the difficulty of slavery. And you can say to yourself, this is my opportunity. The difficulties that God has given me is an indication of the greatness of the things that I can do. More of this soon. This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipsker from Chabad of Hyde Park. We're talking about how we became a nation within the difficulty. The Haggadah begins, Avadim Hayinabu. 
Lepar of Mitzrayim, we were slaves unto Pharaoh. And as mentioned, it's precisely within those difficult situations that we can become free, that we can become liberated, that we can become great, that we recognize our shortcomings, but it's also the opportunity of achieving tremendous levels of greatness, of fulfilling our potential. But the Avadim Hayinu that we say tomorrow after Mincha, we don't say the first part of the Haggadah. And what's first part of the God that probably contains something which is, well, most famous, the Manishtana, where the child asks the question, Manishtana, why is this night different than all other nights and all the various customs of the matzah, of the bitter herbs, of the leaning, of the dipping, what is this really all about? And, you know, the child that asks a question. When a child asks a question, there's a certain naivete, there's a certain purity. There is no cunning, there is no, well... Sometimes when adults ask questions, there's all different types of agendas that come into play. A child asks a question, you know, the simple question of why. And that's an honest question. It's an honest question that demands an honest answer. And while, of course, the child might be at an age and stage where it cannot appreciate fully and completely what, in fact, the answer is really all about. Nonetheless, it has to be an honest answer. It has to be a truthful answer. It has to be an answer that as the child grows and develops, the child will begin to understand more and more and more what, in fact, that answer contained. It's an answer which is, in a sense, eternal. Yes, it was told to a child in a language which a child understands in response to his four questions, her four questions. But at the same time, this is filled with a tremendous sense of eternal truth truth that as the child grows intellectually, emotionally, in years chronologically, the answer becomes clearer and more evident and it shows the fullness of honesty that is contained within the answer. And it's interesting that in Shabbat we don't begin with the question, we begin with the answer. And perhaps the message there is that we have to know the answer first. We have to talk to us without questions, without philosophizing, simply going through the facts, who we are, what we are, where we came from, and what we have to do. What's also interesting as we sit through the Seder. And the Seder is a time of exchange, of asking questions, of discussion, of telling the story, of repeating the story again and again and again. It's not the meal so much. Yes, the meal is important. It's wonderful to have family and friends sitting around together and celebrating this incredible festival. But it's not the meal. It's not the meal at all, really. It is the trappings of the Seder, the four cups of wine, the matzah that we eat at the beginning, the matzah that we eat in the Hillel Sun, which the matzah that we eat at the end for the afikoman. It's the bitter herbs. It's whatever we do. It's the it's the idea of recognizing, of learning to see how everything can become a metaphor for freedom and development. What's interesting, though, is that soon after we speak about Avadim Hayinu, that we were slaves unto Pharaoh, we talk about the four sons. In fact, the Haggadah tells us that Torah itself speaks about four different types of sons. There is the wise, the chacham, there is the rasha, the wicked, there is the tam, translated simple one, and there is the she'eni adelishal, the one who doesn't even know how to ask. Different types of children, different types of people, different types of situations in life, which demands, well, a different type of approach. 
And strangely enough, while, yes, there are detailed answers to each and every one, we speak to the Chacham, and the wise son, and we give him his answer, we speak to the Russia, perhaps a bit harshly, and we give the Russia their answer, we explain to the simple son in a language that he can understand, we try with gentleness, with openness, to bring out a sense of communication from the child who doesn't even know how to ask. But the strange thing is, in a sense, we give all four different sons the exact same answer about the Mahayinu. Yes, the answer might come before. And there are individual ways that we approach the child, but the answer essentially is the same to all of them. And how can this be? Four different type of people with different types of outlooks in life, different types of understanding of self, different types of self-awareness, different types of realities, where I come from, what I think I am, who I am, what I am. And I have different titles. This one is the Chacham, the wise son. This one is the Russia, the evil, the wicked son. This is the Stam, the simple son. This is the they have different titles as well. And yet we give, well, one answer to all of them. And the answer, of course, is that ultimately there is only one answer. Yes, it has to be couched in language and terms that that particular individual understands, but there is ultimately only really one answer. And that answer is, who are we? Where did we come from? What's it all about? And therefore, how it applies to each and every one of us? Yes, this has to be explained in a way which is, well, reasonable, which is relevant to the particular character of the individual. But the answer is universal. The answer is universal. It is the same answer to all four sons. Because all of us really come from the same place. While circumstances of life, whether it is nature or nurture, we were born into particular situations, we were raised in particular situations, The environment, whatever the case might be, there might be differences as a result of the differences of the time and space in which I live. Nonetheless, essentially, we're all the same. And because we're essentially all the same, we have a similar answer. And we have to find our own answer within that great collective answer as well. This, well, this universal answer of Avadim, our origins, our beginnings, who we are and what we are. And this is what liberation is all about. Liberation is not when one group of people finds peace and freedom and everybody else suffers. No, there has to be a universal answer to God's creation because when Mashiach comes, please God, in our time, this will change the entire world into a world of light and a world of goodness and a world of peace and a world of blessing. And this is what Yitzhak Mitzrayim is all about. It was not the final redemption. It was the first of all redemption. This is why, in a sense, the most important. But nonetheless, we have gone through different stages. We have had difficulties subsequent to the story of Egypt, and we have moments of liberation as well, not only collectively as a people, nationally as a people, but also individually. The circumstances of life that we go through, as mentioned before, in achieving a particular sense of freedom, but we also have to seek freedom to everyone, freedom for everybody. This is what true Yitzhak Mitzrayim, and this is why we tell the story again and again and again and again, because until we achieve that moment, until we achieve that reality, the true freedom, the true Yitzhak Mitzrayim hasn't happened, and this is why we are obliged to listen to each and every single individual. Why don't we simply ignore the wicked son out with you? Why do we simply ignore the simple son? You know, you ask such, well, such dumb questions. I have no time for 
for you. And of course, the one who does not ask, we ignore him completely, but no. Torah tells us, the Haggadah reminds us, the Seder, the Seder table, the Seder experience, the incredible coming together reminds us that each one has a legitimate question. And while we might not be happy with that question, and the individual needs a lot of well, explaining a lot of re-engineering, in a sense, to come to a correctness in terms of what has to be asked and what it has to be heard. Nonetheless, each and every one has a purpose. And if they can't ask, we have to use whatever ability that we possess in order to enable that individual to ask the question, which they are legitimately, legitimately able to ask, and not only able to ask, but should ask must ask. But the answer, of course, to all is about the power of Mitzrayim. And it happens the Shabbos. The Shabbos after Mincha tomorrow, we begin to read that portion of the Haggadah, which begins with the answer of Avadim Hayinu, that we were slaves unto Pharaoh in Egypt. And we have to tell that story again and again and again to ourselves, to our children, to our grandchildren, and to teach our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren how to tell that story to their children as well. Because each and every one of us is along the road to the ultimate redemption, the ultimate redemption, the story of Mashiach, as I said before, speedily and happily in our time. And this comes together with the Parsha of Tzav, which speaks about the commandment to fulfill the sacrifice with a sense of passion and with a sense of urgency, because this is the key to freedom, the passion, the joy, the acceptance upon oneself of the necessity of sacrifice. These are all vital and important dimensions of life. So when you're in shul tomorrow, first of all, listen carefully to the parsha that's being read to understand that after the overture of love that began in Vayikra, there is this direct, somewhat harsh, somewhat severe instruction, commandment from God to fulfill the mitzvot of the karbonot of the sacrifices. But also remember that it's Shabbat HaGadol. In some places there is a special haftarah they read, in other places they don't. It's only read on Erev um, on, on, on Shabbat when it's Erev Pesach. But listen carefully to the story, certainly after Mincha. Take out your Haggadah, sometimes in the back of the Siddur, and tell the story. Prepare yourself. Know that this day, Shabbat HaGadol, is the great miracle. The great miracle where the enemy themselves see the error of their ways and try to bring goodness into the world, which comes, of course, together with the incredible Jewish pride that I spoke about before. So each and every one of you will remember before Pesach to sell your chametz to make sure that everything is ready and prepared so you can sit together with your family and friends around the Seder table with a happy and joyous heart and achieve a sense of liberation and freedom. So good Shabbos and good Pesach. We won't be speaking next week and hopefully together we will achieve this great moment of true liberation through the efforts of each and every one of us in our own way, in our own particular way, the coming of Mashiach, redemption, redemption for the entire world, true liberation and the glory of God will shine upon all of creation. Good Shabbos.